time with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Matthew 5, 3. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is basically what happens here is Jesus is hanging out on a mountain or a hill. I don't know what it was. I've been there, actually. I do know it's more of a hill. And, uh, and so he was hanging out, and, uh, and he said that there was a large, it says that there's a large crowd that had gathered. So he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and it says that he began to speak to them. Now, some people think that when it says he began to speak to them, that the them is the crowd. Some people believe that it's just the disciples. Some people believe that this, that these three chapters are actually over the whole period of Jesus' life. This is kind of a, this is kind of a best of sermon, you know, like this is his best of album. Um, so there's, there's different beliefs. But, but what, what it says is that the disciples came and sat around him and he began to speak to them. So at the very least, we know he was talking to his disciples and we know that thousands of people heard what he said. And I want you to think of even this moment of Jesus is, is the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is the crux. It says that he opened his mouth and began to teach them. What that means is that this wasn't just like something that he wanted. This wasn't like, oh, I worked up this really good sermon. But even the phrase, the idea of he opened his mouth to share with them says that this was his heart. This was his message. This was the thing he wanted them to hear the most. And so he's talking to these, at least the 12 disciples. And these are the guys that have given up everything to, to be with him. These are the guys that have given up their jobs. These are the guys that have left their families. These, these are the guys that have said, you know what? I don't ultimately need to be successful in the eyes of the world. I'm going to follow this Jesus guy. I'm going to give my life to following him. And so by most accounts, the disciples were probably pretty poor in the eyes of everybody else. They were, they were the lowest, in, they were low in society. They weren't successful. They, they didn't have a lot. And so they, they had left everything to follow Jesus. And so he looks at them, and I find it very interesting that the first thing he goes through is what we call the Beatitudes. Anybody ever uh, knows what the Beatitudes are? Uh, I, I don't know why. I can't read the Beatitudes. I can't, I can't read the word blessed. I have to say blessed. And I don't know why. I think it's because I grew up in Sunday school, and they taught, you know, like, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and, and blessed are those who... I, I cannot say... I, I try. I read the Bible, and I try. And I'm like, blessed. I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, I, if I really try really hard, then sometimes I'll say blessed. But when I'm just quoting it or praying, it's always blessed. And I don't even know what blessed is. I know what blessed is. Uh... So Jesus looks at them, and I want to read this first one. I want to read this first one. He says this. He says, blessed. Yeah, I did it right right now. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's all. I, there, there's a lot more in the Beatitudes, but that's the one we're going to talk about tonight. Jesus looks at these guys, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to, I, I want to talk about what did he mean by that? When he looked at them, and he said, you know, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. What does that mean? I find it interesting, uh, you know, we kind of have ideas of what being blessed means. We usually think it means uh, that we have lots of good things happening in life, or that we have lots of money, or if everything's going our way, we're just like, oh, I'm just, 
I feel so blessed right now. And Jesus is looking at the guys that have left everything, that are probably not feeling super blessed by worldly standards. These are the guys that they're probably hungry at this moment. And he says, hey, fellas, you're blessed because you're poor in spirit. The interesting thing even about that word blessed is that uh, he says, in, in our Bible, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, but Jesus would have used, he was speaking Aramaic, and I can't say what he said. But the phrase wouldn't have been, it, it's not very what translated into English, but we say, blessed are. And we think that you're blessed, you know, we think when you say blessed are, it's like some future, future blessing will come to you if you are poor in spirit. If you're someone who, who is poor in spirit, then there, then you'll be blessed. And, and what Jesus is saying, the actual phrase is, oh, the blessedness of, oh, the joy of the poor in spirit. What he's saying is, it is a joyful place to be if you're poor in spirit. What he's saying is, he's saying, hey, you're poor in spirit, congratulations. That's a good place to be. See, when we read the Beatitudes, I want you, I want all of you, next time you read the Beatitudes, and I don't even think that's in the Bible. I don't know who started calling them the Beatitudes. It sounds like, I think Salty did it. But uh, anyway. So when you read the Beatitudes, I want you to read those things not as pious hopes of what someday will be. It, when you read the Beatitudes, don't think of it as like, oh, when we get to heaven, that's what he's really talking about. It's not like, oh, once I'm dead, then I get the, the blessedness of, of, what this ha- of what he's saying here. What Jesus is actually saying is that here today, you can be blessed. You can live a blessed life. You can have joy today. And so even what I love about, about as he goes through these things is uh, the last one he talks about is that when you're persecuted, you're blessed. And it doesn't mean that when you go to heaven, now no doubt about it, no doubt about it, when we get to heaven, I think in the fullness of God, the blessing will be even more than ever, and there will be completeness in that blessing. But we're blessed. We have joy even here today. Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, meaning if you hunger for, for righteousness, one day, then you'll have a lot. And in heaven, then God will be like, hey, good job. He's not saying if you're persecuted, once you die, that's a great thing. What he's saying is, no, oh, the joy even now of someone who hungers for righteousness. And so, so as he's saying this, the idea is, is that we don't have to wait, but we can experience it now. I love that about Jesus. I love that, I mean, as you first start reading Matthew, he's not sugarcoating anything. I mean, he, read, read the last couple where he says, you'll be mocked, you'll be made fun of, in the same way that they persecuted the prophets, they're going to persecute you. Jesus wasn't preaching some kind of, hey, let me be really nice up front so that they'll start to follow me, and then later on, I'll, I'll tell them the truth. From the beginning, he said, this ain't easy, but they're joyous. And in John, it says, John wrote that that, that joy, be robbed from us. It's not happiness. Happiness is from chances in life. We have happiness based on things that just happen in our life. And so that means when good things happen, we're happy. And when bad things happen, we're sad. See, that's not what joy is. Jesus is saying there is joy, there is blessedness. And whether in the good days and the bad, you'll enjoy it. You can, you can live for me. And so I want to encourage you. Jesus said, Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is, what is poor in spirit? The, the word there uh, for poor is, is the destitute, the one who has nothing at all. And uh, 
And so it's not just like someone who is, doesn't have a good job. It's not someone who just is, you know, kind of making minimum wage. It's the person that doesn't have anything. And actually, I'm not trying to, I don't want to get too, like, phraseology here, I know. But, but, but the phrase he would have used actually meant the person who, because he has no earthly possessions, puts his hope in God. So what Jesus is saying is, oh, the joy of the person who has so, who has so little that they know that they need God. Because what he says is he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So he's not even talking about people who are actually poor on earth. Now, there, there are times that Jesus loved the poor and were to love the poor. But what he's saying here is you have joy if you so recognize your spirit's need for God. And so I just, even tonight as we begin, I want to encourage you that Jesus, as he started his ministry, was congratulating you for being here tonight. When he started his ministry, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, for you that are hungry, for you that are desperate, for you that recognize your need for God, I call you blessed. I call you joyful. So I, I, even as I talk tonight saying, oh, I'm so happy you're here and I'm so excited for you. That's great and that's nice and you may like that. But I want you to know that Jesus is overjoyed at your statement in being here. If nothing else, for most of you, it's a response in obedience. Maybe Many of you, maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you're like, what am I doing? I'm signing up for this thing and I don't want these things. I don't want to not date for three and a half months. That is crazy. You know, like maybe you're like, I don't want to not, I don't want to be, have all my, so much time in prayer meetings, but you know what? I, God told me to do it. And so out of pure obedience, I'm going to be here. He loves that. And that's the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you know that. There's, there's joy for you if you so recognize your desperate need for God and yours is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Ultimately, again, it's not some future thing. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere that God is king. So the kingdom of heaven can be here on earth. And when you decide, you know what, ultimately, I'm going to go against my flesh and I'm going to let Jesus make the call the shots in my life, you're living in the kingdom of heaven. And so even tonight, I just want you to know, I want you to feel as we begin, I want you to know Jesus is happy you're here. He's excited that you're here. And so are we, everyone, uh, everybody in core, everyone of the staff. We love that you're here because we see what God is doing and we know that he is going to use you as we, as we pray for this country, as we pray for this city, as we desire to see God move. So we are ecstatic that you're here. But more importantly, please decide. So I want to just practically tonight, I want to go through as quick as I can, uh, some really practical things for you. And so, so like I said, as, as, we, as we talk about, we're, we're, we want you to we give you paper to take notes. You should probably bring your own journal because we give you like a quarter of a sheet. Uh, and hopefully Tyrell says more than just that. Uh, he will. Uh, so, so, but, uh, but as you, as you take notes, I just want you to jot these things down tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to just hit on them. And, and ultimately uh, each one of these could be their own talk. Uh, but I want to give you nine, nine keys to sustaining hunger for God this year. As we embark on this year, right now it's exciting. Right now it's, I mean, tomorrow prayer meetings are started. And so like, you know, tomorrow the Monday prayer meeting is going to be huge. And then you know, three weeks in, it'll be pretty big. And I mean, you know, like, but, but, but there, there's excitement as we begin. Um, and, and that may sustain in your heart, but it may not. 
And I want to I want to give you just as practically as I can tonight nine things that, that and, and this is by no means is this all inclusive, but nine things that we've experienced. This is like like we've said, this is our tenth year, and so we've we've learned a few things along the way. And so some of the things that we've seen for people that have sustained hunger throughout this year, but I hope you take it as even beyond this year. I hope, because you can implement these things far beyond your time here. And so hopefully you see this as, as some, some, just some keys to sustaining hunger in God for, throughout your lifetime. So I'm going I'm to try to go as fast as I can. The, fir- the first thing for sustaining hunger for God is to get discontent. Get discontent. The, the natural overflow of someone who is poor in spirit of someone who so recognizes their their barrenness and their need for God, the first natural overflow of that is to get discontent with himself and discontent with things. Jesus, or in uh, the other Bible, 1 John 2.15 says this. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now what, Jesus, or what John is saying here is not that we don't love the people in the world. But it's so easy for us to, in the name of relevance or in the name of just, you know, I just like these things. It's so easy for us to cling to earthly things and to worldly things. There's a song uh, when I was in high school by this band. Uh, anybody, anybody ever heard of Katie McCall? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's the what's the, the guy now? Derek Webb. Derek Webb. And uh, he, now Katie McCall, I don't know if they're anymore, but Derek Webb gives free music away, so I like him for that. But but the, there's a song by Cadman's Call, and, uh, and the words went like this. It said, this world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. All that I could want, and nothing that I need. The truth is, is that this world has so much to offer, and if the enemy can just get you distracted by, by all these, sometimes even good things, if he can get you distracted by those things, then it will cause you to, to not hunger for the Lord. And, and this love for the world will grow within us. And so this world truly has so many things, all that we could want, but nothing that we need. Because ultimately what we need is found in Jesus. John 15, 19, Jesus said, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, and this is a statement he's making. Jesus, in a few chapters later, he prays for us as believers. Here he's speaking to his disciples, but I speak this over you tonight. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why it hates you. I just want you to know, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you interact with people at Starbucks or Toronto's, if you're more of a local kind of person, you know, like as you, listen, the kind of person that signs up to say, you know what, I want to I live in holiness, I want to seek God, the world's going to hate you. Do you know why the world hates you? Because Satan hates you. Satan doesn't want you to get close to God. And so he's going, so, so, so that's why the world's going to hate you. So why do we so long to, to temper and to, to enjoy the world when everything it's doing is trying to pull you down? So the number one thing of someone who realizes that they, the, 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 the emptiness of their own spirit and their need for God is to get detached from this world. So for some of you, that means uh, that you're going to have to uh, give up, you know, video games. And uh, some of you, we tell you to. Uh, some of you, that means maybe, I, I don't know, maybe some of you, it means social networking. Maybe some of you, it means hanging out with people that you don't, that, that, that you try to 
use the excuse that I'm trying to reach them for Jesus, but really all you're really doing is you want to hang out with them, and they, they actually influence you to a negative more than you influence them to a positive, but you're like, oh, but I want to live, live, I want to win them for Jesus. And then you go out and party with them, and you don't do anything like Jesus. Maybe you don't need to do that. But get detached from the world. The second thing is, is get detached from thinking that you're pretty special. Get detached from, from yourself and, and thinking that, that you have it all. Uh, to quote A.W. Tozer, he says, the contented soul is stagnant, is the stagnant soul. So once you've started to think that you are, are content, once you start to think, you know what, I've got enough, then you're stagnant. I heard a pastor one time say, if you're not taking ground, you're losing ground. No such thing as standing still and being so we need to be people that are constantly advancing, that are going forward. And I know that's your heart. I know that's why you're here. That's what, you, that's what excites you about even coming out and doing something like this. But the excitement that happens at the beginning is not always easy to maintain through the end. And so I want to encourage you, from the beginning, we need to get discontent. We need to get discontent with the world. We need to realize that ultimately, I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's just not what thrills me. I'm not saying that you need to like completely become a monk and never see people. No, 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 no. But just don't let the world be the thing that thrills you. Don't let the world be the thing that excites you. Get discontent. Get discontent again with your own spirit, realizing I'm not. I'm not there. I haven't arrived. Listen. The the nature of you being accepted into what we do here, the furnace, does not mean you have arrived. Okay. We all need to continually hunger for more. The moment we think we've arrived, we lose it. Being in the furnace, being in DLA, that doesn't mean jack, okay? What matters is what your heart is before the Lord. Okay, so get discontent. i got to go fast. Uh, number two is resolve to know God. So first, get, to get discontent. Number two, resolve to know God. I want to read uh, Isaiah Chapter 50, verse 7, says this, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. I want us to be the kind of people that have set our face like flint, that have set our face like rocks. Our, 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 our gaze is at one person, and that's God. We're not looking to the, to the left or the right. We're not looking at what other people think. But our desire is to know God. Paul understood this. Philippians 3. I'm going to read 3, uh, 4 through 11. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to read that again. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. In Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul's saying. 
He's saying, you know what? You want your religious rules? You can stack all of your religious achievements on me, and I'm better. He's like, if you're going to go for religion, I got to be. But ultimately, it's rubbish. That's dumb. That's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He says, whether I'm beaten, whether I'm floating in an ocean, whether I'm stranded on an island, no matter what it is, it's not about how good I am, and it's not about how hard life is for me. Everything is about Jesus. So if you want to be, as we maintain hunger, we need to be someone who is resolved to know God. Let me tell you what that means. That means we worship God. What that means is that when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, you're going to be someone who early in the morning, late at night, all day long, you are declaring the greatness of God. A lot of times when we're worshiping God, the thing that it does most is remind us how great he is. A lot of times as we come and we sing these songs, and, and when I say worship God, I, I think it is partially as we're in prayer meetings or as we're in corporate worship together, as you're singing a song, that's great. But I mean, you by yourself throughout the day, just thinking on how great God is. Just not, not allowing yourself to focus on how hard life is or how mean people are, but how great God is. Be a worshiper. Be someone who takes time to worship God. Okay, this is the third thing. To sustain hunger, stop comparing. Galatians 6, verse 4. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anyone else. For each one should carry his own load. Let me read uh, quickly. One of my favorite stories here uh, is in John 21. This is this is Jesus and Peter, and uh, this is right after Jesus had, had kind of reestablished Peter uh, in terms of Peter had denied Jesus three times, and when Jesus comes back, he, he reinstates him as saying, Peter, you love me, Peter, you love me, Peter, you love me. He, he makes Peter say that, and so, uh, but the, so Jesus has just, just spoke so much life into Peter, and, uh, and then Jesus looks at him, and uh, it's, it, it's, he, he looks at him, and he says, uh, Peter, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you were dressed. You dressed yourself, and you, sorry, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would be would by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, "Follow me." And then Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved. You got to love John for that. Was following him. Uh, this was the one who had leaned back on the, against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. Uh, I love that story because Jesus had just spoken life into Peter. Jesus had just said, Peter, I know you messed up. I know you screwed up, but I know that you love me. I know you love me even when you question it. Jesus had just spoken so much life into Peter, so much so that he goes ahead and he prophesies over him, Peter, you who cowered in front of a servant girl, you're actually going to be martyred and glorify me in your death. That's a good moment for Peter. Peter was terrified from a servant girl, and now Jesus is like, oh no, you're going to be martyred, He's gonna, you know, for my glory. And Peter's like, man, that's sweet. And he turns around, and he sees John, he's like, well, what about him? And Peter and John, I think, had an interesting relationship. I think each of them wanted to know who the favorite was. John assumed it was him. 
Peter assumed it was John too. <laughs> so, so Peter says, well, well, what about him? And I love Jesus' response because he says, what, about, what do you care about John? I just told you you're going to glorify me in your death. And you're asking about John? What if, I love what Jesus says. You know, what if I want him to live until I come back? What is it to you? What do you care? He says, you follow me. I, uh, I took a, a, a year of Greek and learned nothing. Um, but, but I did learn one thing that I love in this section is that when Jesus says, you follow me, if, if you were to actually write it out in, in the Greek passive verb or something, I don't know, whatever, aorist and whatever, uh, what he said is, he said, what do you care? Peter, you follow me for yourself. That's a big deal. See, I think a lot of, the, a, a big way that, that the enemy wants to take you out is by making you look around and start comparing to other people. And you start saying, oh, but, you know, they're so godly. They're so good. And I'm just, man, that person prays all the time. That person is so dedicated. That person is so consistent with their God time. And, and man, I'm just not, and I just, I don't know if I can really do this. So you just kind of shrink back. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're like, dude, look at those slackers. Man, I'm not going to two prayer meetings. I'm going to four. I'm pretty legit like that, you know? Like, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm all the way, you know? I'm, I'm pretty awesome. And, uh, and so, man, I, I could pray, maybe put it on cruise control for a little bit because compared to everybody else, man, I am sweet. Listen, when you start comparing people, when you start comparing yourself to other people, what you're doing is you're diminishing what Jesus is doing in your life. You're looking at other people, and you're like, Jesus, why do you need to be like them? Jesus, why can't I be like them? And I think Jesus, I don't know this, but I think he's just like, bro, I'm leading you. I'm dying. Don't you worry. Why? What do you care? If I want them, it, you know, if, when you're like, Jesus, man, this person just fasts all the time, and they're so good at it, and they're just so spiritual. Why can't I be like them? I think Jesus is like, dude, if I never want him to eat again, what do you care? You follow me for yourself. So stop comparing, because when you compare, you either build up your ego, and you start to think that you're pretty awesome, and you begin to slow down, or you get depressed, and you're like, man, I'm not as good as these other people, and so I'm just never going to make it, and you get this self-pity little grossness, and so you slow down. So stop comparing to other people, and start looking to Jesus. Number four, repent often. Repent all the time. Just be a repenter. Just be like, Jesus, I don't know if I just sinned when I cussed that person out, but but just in case, I just repent of that. I don't want to do that. Jesus, I don't know if I sinned when I just cheated on that test, but just in case, let's just be, be people that repent all the time. Not, 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 not this, like, fear. Not this fear-driven, like, oh, no, did I just lose my salvation? Oh, no, what's going on? I don't know if Jesus likes me anymore. because I'm, I'm not talking about a fearful repentance. I'm talking about in, in the desire for holiness. You're like, Jesus, I really don't want that. God, I really don't want that sin in my life. And so I repent. And even if it's a little thing, it may be a little thing to me. And, and it may, I don't know if you see it as big or little, but I want to repent of that right now. Someone who repents often. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious, uh, anxious thoughts. I love that verse because what the author's saying there is, God, I don't even know my own heart. So you search it out and tell me where I need to repent. You search it out, God, because I don't even trust myself. So let's be people that repent often. Number five, forgive quickly. 
I love, uh, I thought Pastor Brady did a fantastic job this morning talking on forgiveness. And uh, so I don't need, uh, we were all there, so I don't think we need to go into this deeply. But I want you to know that in my experience, one of the worst things, that, one of the primary ways that I've seen people taken out in pursuit of God has been offense. They've gotten hurt or wounded. And rather than forgiving people, they've let it fester in their heart. And they've let it, they've let, they've let a, a small hurt become a massive wound. And the best way to stop that early is just be someone who forgives. Be someone who says, you know what? I'm not going to hold that against them. I'm not going to hold my judgment on them. I love uh, Matthew 7, 1. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Listen, I don't want to be judged. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I mess up. I need all the grace and mercy I need, so I need to give that to other people. To be someone who, who, who quickly forgives other people. Matthew eleven twenty four. 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus here talking about prayer. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it, and, you, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may, may forgive you your sins. I find it so interesting, the importance of forgiveness in prayer. When we come in this room and we pray together, we have hurt and wounds, we have offenses towards one another, we're not praying in unity. And if we're not praying in unity, then what are we doing? We, need to, we want to be people that, that pray together for God to move. And if I'm allowing my hurt towards you to keep us from having unity, then I'm wasting both of our time. Jesus ties prayer and repent, or prayer and forgiveness together. So let's be people that, that forgive quickly. All right, number six. Read your own Bible. Read your own Bible. If you, I love how, uh, how many resources there are. I love how many sermons you can podcast or how many books you can read. I love, I love all those resources, and I think they are fantastic, and I hope that we are, we are resource kind of people. I, I, I hope that we all become the like, nerds that don't listen to music, but we listen to sermons. That's, that's like cool in this world, you know? I know that that's not cool everywhere. I try to do both at the same time. I have a sermon going, and then I have like background music, just to, you know. But, but, but I hope we're those kind of people. But, but let me, ultimately what I'm saying here, when I say read your own Bible, number one, I don't want you to just take what I say or take what Tyrell says or take what David says and just believe it for the heck of it. No, no, no. Find out for yourself. That's why you're here. Be self-feeders. Take what, take what we say on Sunday nights. Go open up the Bible and say, okay, Holy Spirit, you are in me. You open the word to me. Tell me, show me. What does this look like? Unpack it for me. Take the books that you read or the sermons that you hear and, 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 and take that and say, okay, let me weigh this against the Bible. Is this true? This is the primary way that we are trying to keep you guys from becoming heretics. Okay? Now, I'm not dragging, I'm, I'm in no way saying that I'm going to preach heresy often. I, I promise I will try not to whenever possible. But even if I do, if you'll just read your own Bible, no, that, read your own Bible, weigh it for yourself, say, Holy Spirit, show me, where is this? Is this true? And that's okay. I want you to wrestle with those things. The second thing is that uh, tomorrow night when prayer meetings start, what we do here is we pray the Bible in prayer meetings. So as you come to these prayer meetings, you need to bring your Bible. And so uh, basically, we'll be in prayer and we'll be in intercession. And whatever you want to pray, it's real simple. You can pray whatever you want 
as long as you have five verses to go with it. And so that's great. And so you can, if you can find a verse that talks about praying for your dead horse, awesome, let's do it. You know, let's go for it. Um, but if you haven't read it before you get here, I don't, I'm not really interested in you spending the first 90 minutes of a prayer meeting trying to find a verse that you can pray once. I hope the Bible's in you when you get here so that we can just go at it from the beginning. Does that make sense? So read your own Bible. Number seven, this is pretty, uh, we, I talked about this on, on Thursday night, but make your closest friends those with a burning heart. If you want to have hunger for God, make your closest friends those that are hungry for God. I know that it's the cheesy thing that your parents tell you, you know, like when they're worried about the friends you're hanging out with in high school, and, and they're like, oh, you know, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Unfortunately, it's true. It's so true. And so if you want to be someone who for the long haul hungers after God, surround yourself with people that hunger after God. I, I read this, but Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27 is the best chapter in the Bible, in my, in my idea, for accountability. I mean, this verse, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that's just one of like seven that talk about the importance of having what we call marvelous comrades, of having people that will, that will go shoulder to shoulder with you, that will push you in, in the days that you want to retreat, that will, that will speak life to you in the days that you're hurting, that will encourage you when you're feeling good and when you're loving life and God is moving in you, they'll push you forward still. So surround yourself with people that hunger for God and you'll continue hungering for God. I think I'm going to do this. Number eight, narrow your interests. This goes along with the first one as far as getting detached from the world. and, and um, But kind of the, the, the cute little cliche, a jack of all trades is a master of none. Um, sometimes we fill our life with so many good things that we miss the great ones. So, so sometimes we fill our life with, with so many uh, things that are not bad. And I don't want you to hear me saying the best, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and ask God, God, what is it that you actually want me to be a part of? Not saying that these that, that, that if you work five jobs and you're going to school 20 hours this semester and you're doing the furnace and you, you know, help at a homeless shelter and you help at an old folks home and you do 5K runs all the time and you hike the incline every morning at four in the morning and then again in the evening, I'm not saying all those things are bad. Those are mostly good things, except for the incline. Those are mostly good things. What I am saying is that we need to narrow our interests so that we're doing the ones that God really wants us to do. And in time, maybe you'll do all of them at different seasons in your life. But sometimes we try to do everything now. And I'm saying the good things. The truth is, is a lot of us fill up our life with a lot of bad things. Or at least neutral. And so, so narrow your interests. And then the last one, and I know I've just kind of powered through these things here tonight. And like I said, these are things that I, I hope that you take these. And, and for some of you, maybe one or two of them hit home. Um, I'm not saying that all of you are like all nine. You're like, oh, I'm going to implement that right away. Uh, but just pray through these things. Number nine, if you want to be someone that keeps having a hungry heart, you need to ask for it. You need to ask for it in prayer. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Acts 17, verse 27, or I'll start in verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times and set forth them the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. We serve a God that wants to be found. We serve a God that wants us to hunger to know him because he wants us to know him. It's not like we go through life with this, this hunger that just we just keep hungering, we're, we're, we're aching, and we're just like, oh, it's never filled. No, he wants to fill us up so that we taste and see and we hunger all the more. We serve a God that wants to be found. I want to encourage you, if you're someone that wants to sustain hunger for the Lord, passion for Jesus, having a desperate heart, however you want to say it, being poor in spirit, and ask for it every day. Jesus, may I see, may, truly today, may I decrease that you may increase. Today, may I long for you. May I want you. I don't feel it right now, Lord, but I want to. So let's ask for it. This Maybe maybe you take the first month of prayer meetings. I don't know. Maybe all you're doing the first month is you're just asking God to hunger. Because it's not, you, you don't feel desperate. You just, maybe you feel content. Let's get to the place of desperation. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.